Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Caged In, the best least informed Nicolas Cage podcast out there that you can listen to. Hope you're all well, hope you're surviving and striving through these unprecedented times. Uh, Hopefully this is a little bit of light relief for you whilst you're stuck at home or still chugging on to work on the front line, which I applaud you for and I'm sure we all do, apart from real arseholes basically. Uh, But I am here this week to talk to you about Kick-Ass and I was joined by the big daddy of the Empire Film Podcast, Chris Hewitt. Um, You're hearing this, uh, maybe I sound a little nervous but I made a a real cock up with the name of their podcast in it but I'm I'm, I'm leaving it in, I've I've got no shame and probably because it's referenced later in the episode because then to change it would 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 not not really that joke wouldn't really pay off so i'm gonna leave it in but it shows you that i am fallible and as i said at the start i am ill-informed when it comes to all things nicholas cage a lot of the time and even my guests who uh in this case i'm a massive fan of i actually subscribe to the empire film podcast and listen every week i just have had a momentary lapse of memory in regards to what the name actually is but this one's a real fun one and Chris has got some real good insights and uh, inside scoop really in regards to Kick-Ass because he was actually there on set whilst they were filming and got to interview some of the key players in the film so this is a real fun one and I hope you enjoy it and join me at the end when we'll talk about what's coming next week and all that other stuff here we are this week on the Caged In podcast to talk about 2010's Kick-Ass directed by Matthew Vaughan from the mind of Mark Miller and through the prism of Jane Goldman's writing I'm not here to talk about this alone I have Chris Hewitt of the empire magazine film podcast i got the name of that wrong but i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure my, <laughs> my my fans will be able to find you anyway and of course a writer yep. for empire magazine how are you chris are you well uh yeah i'm good i'm good uh all things considered yeah <laughs> i'm all right yeah how are you yeah i'm well are you taking the news of the extension of the lockdown almost uh in a kind of we've been told if Dominic Rab has to come back in again. He will be cracking skulls. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm taking it right. I'm, 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 I'm mentally locked down until at least uh, July. So let's see how this thing goes. Uh, I, what I haven't taken well is I've just found out that Brian Dennehy died, which is really sad. Oh man, uh, fantastic! Brian Dennehy's gone, but you know, hey ho! I've started your podcast off with a real. Bummer of a piece of news there. That's that's not good. Well, luckily we have a joyous film to talk about this week. In yeah, as I said, uh, Matthew Vaughan's 2010 comic book adaptation, Kickass. Mm. But from a slightly skewed point of view, in the fact that this is a Nicolas Cage-based podcast, so I'll start off by <laughs> asking you: uh, Are you a Nick Cage fan? I'm a huge Nick Cage fan. Yeah. Uh, what was your? Uh, yeah. 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 You get like, uh, what, what was your entry-level point to Nick Cage? My entry level point to Nick Cage. Ooh, that's a very, very good question. Uh, Raising Arizona, I'm guessing, was probably the first time I became aware of Cage. 
So when is that? 86, 87? Yeah. Eight, something like that? Yeah. Was it was it an instant yeah. connection or? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if I instantly connected with the cage, but I think I remember thinking, well, I was maybe, what, 12, 12, 13, something like that. And uh, I probably thought, here is someone who I can't quite tell, and I still can't, and I mean this as a, as a compliment, whether he's doing this deliberately. Well, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm probably one of the people to speak to because I've I've done the research. I've got the I've I've got the widespread knowledge, and yeah, I've put in the elbow grease to find out if he is uh-huh. doing all of this on purpose. And I either hate to tell you, or you'll be thrilled to hear that he he is doing this on purpose. He, Hooray! <laughs> he, he's a man who gets kicks from just throwing his hat into any ring possible and he does it with a lot of aplomb a lot of the time as I guess yeah. we kind of see in this film as he plays I don't, how how would you describe Nick Cage in this film uh, I would describe him carefully just in case he heard me uh, no I, I think he's tremendous he's great one of the reasons why I picked this film apart from the fact that uh, I interviewed him for this movie uh, and I was on set of this movie but I didn't get to see him on set oh. in this movie. I would love to have seen him as Big Daddy in this. Uh, but one of the reasons I picked this film uh, is because I think it's kind of the beginning of his comeback trail, in a way. That I love Nick Cage. I love Nick Cage when he is gonzo, when he's wacko, when he is infested in a in a role. Um, and you can really tell when he's really swinging for the fences and trying something new and different and something that no other actor could even begin to approximate and kick-ass has a lot of that and uh it came at a period when i'd kind of fallen out of love with him a little bit as an actor um because he was kind of phoning in a lot of fairly bland performances in my opinion you know things that uh you know i i felt that he was he was playing up the sort of modeling moon moon faced uh big big puppy dog eyes element of his performances uh a little bit in you know things like you know he'd made knowing which is a film i love as well but he was still making things like next he was phoning it in and next national treasure book of secrets is a good film it's a fine blockbuster it's totally okay but i don't think he was really taking massive massive risks as an actor and then along comes this this gig which I think took him two weeks to do <laughs> and allowed him to go batshit crazy. And with a, with a director, who I think this is maybe key, I think, to Nick Cage, is a, a director who has, who can push him. And a director who's not just going to go, oh, are you okay? You're Nicholas Cage. I'm not going to even begin to direct you. I think Matthew Vaughn directed him and, you know, and pushed him and challenged him as well. And, you know, didn't just indulge all the crazy ideas, but maybe interrogated some of the crazy ideas as well. Um, you know, and that's happened all the way through his career as well. You know, I'm not writing off everything he did over the last few years before that, but for me, there's a real sense of vitality and a real sense of energy and anarchy in this performance, and I, I love it. So, um, yeah, uh, back to your point of you were on set for this. So, uh, like, mm. what did what did you get to see on on, on set on set of this? I film? got. I got to see it was 
it's one of those things where you go on set and it's probably something you can't even write about because if I remember rightly, it was towards the end of the movie. So technically speaking, Big Daddy's dead at this point in the in the film, although they they weren't telling us that. Um, but it was during the final. It was a final shootout sequence. It was uh, it was whenever. Hit Girl and Kick-Ass are fighting against Mark Strong and his guys in that big apartment, um, yeah, that, that lovely big apartment building. The, the goons uh, are fantastically yeah. named in the titles as well as uh, Scary Goon, uh, Baby Goon. <laughs> sporty uh, sporty <laughs> Goon, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a real little nice, like, uh, I, I guess, Matthew Vaughan nod to the, to the British fan base. Yeah, precisely. Um, yeah, so I think we I saw that 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 happening. Actually, we we filmed a, a video diary of of our uh, our visit, you know, Empire's visit to the set. It was one of the very very few occasions where we had filmed a video diary. Um, so I mainly remember talking to Mark Strong in his as he was getting made up and. Uh, uh, Chloe Moretz and you know talking to Chloe Moretz, who back then was maybe ten, maybe eleven. I'm not entirely sure, um, but you know quite young. And her mum was with her, and her brother was with her, and uh, you know, and then she had to go off for fight training, which <laughs> seemed really incongruous because she's ten or eleven. But um, it was just a really really fun day. Uh, it's a shame that Nicky Cage wasn't on set, but you can't have it all. I, 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 I've just realized, I just remembered actually, that I did have my Nick Cage on set experience in on National Treasure Book of Secrets. Ah. That I was, I was lucky enough. I've, I've, I've interviewed him a few times, um, and I interviewed him uh, for Ghost Rider in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery uh, a few years ago. A perfect so, location. This is all coming back to me. This, this is all. This is all. This is all fresh <laughs> stuff that's just been dredged up in my mind. But uh, for Ghost Rider, they put on a big, um, a big press event at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery out in LA, and so I flew out and uh, and they 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 showed us like twenty minutes of footage projected onto this wall in the cemetery. And the, the the cemetery is an important place for Nick Cage. Like a lot of his friends are buried there, a lot of his heroes yeah. are buried there as well. And uh, so he was in quite contemplative uh, mood at that time. But I, I I spoke to him for a few minutes there, and uh, and then on the set of National Treasure Book of Secrets, um, we went along for the scene where he's I think they're they're in Buckingham Palace, and he does the whiskey. <laughs> he does that. So I got to, I got to see that live, uh, which was which was incredible. Uh, so I didn't get my Nick Cage set experience on Kick-Ass, but I, I got to interview him on the phone for uh, for about twenty twenty five minutes uh, as a result of this. Well, that 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 is that is an amazing moment. I think that's the closest we get in National Treasure to a like Cage freakout. Basically, it's like, it's it's yeah. the, it's the kind of the most Disney will allow. Uh, and his <laughs> his choices for Kick-Ass, like from doing uh, a bit of research, finding out that like. The stuff that he he brought a lot to the role in regards to like yeah. uh, even the the just bizarre like quite frankly yeah bizarre touch of the mustache being extended mm -hmm. when he's Big Daddy or the what can only be described as Adam West like voice and performance as as Big Daddy <laughs> is is from his mind and like as yeah. you said what no 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 better person to play such a kind of wacky cuckoo like character really and it's like i think he brings the pathos that uh big daddy needs well damon yeah like the character of damon needs mm -hmm. in this film because 
Mm. It's really as much as it is this origin story of um, Dave Lazuski to become Kickass. Mm. He is the heart and soul of it because without his revenge story and the the sub well yeah the subplot of the relationship between him and his daughter, I don't think this that that's that for me is what brings Kickass especially like heart as opposed to like and I think that's where the sequel lacks it is that it just doesn't yeah. it doesn't have that that kind of high stakes in that this is a man's life that was ruined and he mm. wants to fucking kill someone for it and <laughs> yeah the, the sequel the sequel lacks a lot of things let's be honest yeah. <laughs> uh, nick cage is just one of those things yeah but you're absolutely right I, you know i i, I think that the, the character of damon or the character of big daddy is is a really great creation of his um interesting enough i was going through my old interview with him um you know in preparation yeah. for this and he he told me that he'd been offered the mark strong role he'd been offered the frank d'amico role initially and he wasn't really interested. And it's interesting now that you know, all these little sliding doors moments in his career. You know, like where obviously he was offered, he was offered um, the um, Linus Roach role in Mandy first, oh. and he didn't. He didn't want to. He just didn't feel a connection yeah. to it. And he went, I, I, I think I should play Red. Um, so there's little things like that. That you know, if he could, if, he, if maybe if he just went left, it'd be a slight. We'd have be having a different podcast. And I kind of feel that maybe. You know, had he played the the Frank D'Amico role, I could see what he would have done with it. You know, he might have done something weird with it. He might have done something like maybe Kiss of Death with it or something. But I think he gravitated to this because he's a superhero freak. Uh, he's an Adam West freak. And he saw the chance to have a, a bit of fun and essentially play Batman. Well, I guess it's his, his chance to finally don the cape. Like, seeing as he lost out with um, Superman, Superman uh, the death of Superman. So obviously yeah. this this is his chance to I know he like there's a nice nod to him in uh, Teen Titans go to the movies because he got to voice Superman in that but this is him you can tell you can tell by his performance and yeah like the way he delivers it that this, this he he's loving it and it's very rarely for me that like actors enjoying themselves really pays off on screen a lot of the time it can come off quite self-indulgent or they're just a bit gross whereas like nick cage in this is just i, I i'm enjoying watching him enjoying himself because he almost got yeah. like the look of a child who's been given the keys to a chocolate factory and <laughs> I, i'm here for it yeah he got he got all five golden tickets for this movie i think that's that's, well, it, that's how it worked out for him even the way he looks like as uh damon uh for me like all i could instantly think like i haven't i I hadn't watched this film since it came out in the cinema. I don't. I don't know why I enjoyed it then, but it's just it just, it just stuff passed me by, and I mm. instantly saw him, and I thought he looks like fucking BTK, and it, <laughs> it, it, it makes so much sense that he's like kind of it. I'm not sure if that is a direct like uh, reference they were trying to make, but obviously, I guess the fact that BTK. The, yeah, the serial killer had that look of just your everyday man, quite like nebbish and like weedy, but then did huh. terrible things to people as Big Daddy is willing to do in this. Yeah, I, I, that's that's <laughs> never that never came up. Um, if I'm ever lucky enough to interview him again, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll ask him because uh, I, I definitely asked him about you know the the influence of on Big Daddy yeah, yeah. and what he was trying to do with Big Daddy. 
and yes, it's Adam West. And there's 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 no question about it. But uh, as for as for Damon, <laughs> that's a very very good good idea. I think he just wanted to go for something that felt really suburban and safe. And uh, you know, literally, he took the idea of of a daddy. Yeah, so yeah. you get this idea that this guy dresses like he might drive a Volvo or a similarly boring car. No offense to anyone who has Volvos, uh, or indeed anyone who's a serial killer. Uh, you know, do, you do what you do whatever floats your boat. Uh, and I feel for you in your struggles during this time when you have to stay six feet away from people. But um, but uh, he's 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 great in this. And one of, the, one of the things about this that I love is that from the off, you get the sense that he's an absolutely insane person. Uh, I, I love the idea, the opening scene with him and, and Mindy, where oh it's just a father and daughter having a great time and then of course you know he shoots his daughter in the chest and you're going what's going on here this is this is very very fucked up yeah the what well, the only thing for me there's like that that scene like has a punch but the only thing is i felt like their introduction could have had more of a punch if it was the first time we saw them as big daddy and hit girl because hit girl's entrance into um the drug dealer's apartment is something of cinematic majesty in 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 that 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 famous opening line that i think very much split the crowds when this came out like <laughs> and caused caused a lot of controversy right um yeah, I don't know that it did. I think it was one of those things. I remember being on set and being aware of the line because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's in the comic. And so I I was asking, you know, do you say, you know, do you, does Mindy get to say the line? Is that line in the yeah. movie? And, you know, you're 10. So how, you know, <laughs> are you okay with saying that line? And uh, uh, and yes, the line was in the movie. And yes, they're, they're, they're very responsible about the way they did it. I remember thinking at the time, I think maybe I've said this to someone that the, the Daily Mail is going to come after this movie with everything they've got, and uh, I don't think it ever actually transpired. I think maybe they were busy that day. Maybe there were there were bigger fish to fry. Uh, I'm sure some people got their knickers in a twist oh, yeah, yeah. about it. Yeah, but uh, you know, and maybe it's, you know it's just about shock value and an impact and it's superficial and swearing isn't big and it's not clever. It is funny. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> Give a ten-year-old to say "bangly bang," and I'll, 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 I'll watch it any day of the week. Like, no, no shadow of a doubt. Um, what do you think? Did you know anything about the fact that Nick Cage wasn't the first? You mentioned how he was offered the role of Frank D'Amico. That um, Daniel Craig and Mark Wahlberg were in talks to play Big Daddy. I did not know that. That's interesting. That's very interesting. What a wholly I, different film it would have been with either of those two, right? Yeah. I can't see Mark Wahlberg playing <laughs> an Adam West riff somehow. I think he would have played it a little bit straighter. Yeah. I get that feeling. Yeah. Well, it would have been a lot of like, hey, you fucking jerk. It would have been, I don't know. I feel like he play, he plays angry guy from Boston very well and, 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 <laughs> and has done that a lot of his career. So I guess I guess that what was Big Daddy would have been would have been like ah oh, the fucking Red Sox and it would have been like <laughs> yeah I, I I think that would have been I love Mark Wahlberg uh, I respect him <laughs> um, but I don't think that would have been a great idea I've just found this uh, old interview with Nick Cage that I did uh, where he actually talks about his influence, his uh, inspiration for Damon and he says that it was he based him in a way 
on uh, an ex-girlfriend's dad who was a very soft-spoken man, had a moustache and glasses, and he would always refer to my Len girlfriend as, oh, child. <laughs> uh, he was the last guy you would ever expect to break someone's nose in a fist, fist fight, but he was a badass. Um, so, yeah, it's all there. It's all there. But, um, maybe not a serial killer, but, you know. Well, I, th- I, th- I think Cage gets a brilliant moment as well, which, like, for me, is almost uh, a very tiny version of the uh, Joker bathroom scene in the application of the makeup. We get this kind of, yeah. like, beautiful little moment of him, like, as he's, like, on second viewing, you know he is going to his death, and you could, like, watching his eyes in that moment it's almost like he knows it could be going either way and yeah Yeah. it's 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 probably not as profound as that joker moment but like (laughs) (laughs) i'm probably putting a bit too much onto it i don't know man if if we start talking about the profundity or otherwise of joker we could be here all night because uh (laughs) Uh, I don't want to get bogged down into that one. But uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know necessarily that Kick-Ass is going for anything profound, but what it is going for is is a good time. And what it is going for is kind of shining the spotlight on the grubbier side of superhero movies and the, and the, and the stuff, the sort of minutiae that you don't really think about uh, in, you know, because back then, was it 2010 yeah, when the yeah. movie came out? 2010 when the movie came out. So we were we were two years after Iron Man. We were two years after Dark Knight. Uh, it feels more like a response to the Dark Knight than it does a response to Iron Man and anything that was happening with with what Marvel were doing at the time. But <clears throat> it is a movie about you know how, what happens with Batman's eyes. Oh well, he puts he puts <laughs> sort of <laughs> mascara yeah, yeah, yeah. and and black makeup around him. Of course he does. So you get to see that kind of happening here. You know what would happen if Batman functioned in the real world and he wasn't a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have loads of money in a bat cave and. You know, he was a bit of a psychopath and he had a daughter. And uh, uh, and this movie tackles all those questions, I think. And I think, I think like, he tackles them well and, like, the real-world implications of being a superhero. And also, like, is happy to be gritty and pretty gross in moments and just, like, really go there for violence and I don't, just, just stuff that I think up until this point hadn't really been seen too much in that kind because the like color palette of like of the film very much is in Mm. keeping of like bright vibrant and it has those Mm -hmm. spider-man riffs of the voiceover uh Mm -hmm. like dave lazuski well kick-ass the character Mm -hmm. is very much that kind of carbon copy like pastiche of of peter parker right yeah yeah I think so, definitely. It's 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 interesting because I think were this movie to be made nowadays, I don't know how it would, how it would, it would feel. Um, you know, it's it's a parody of films that, in a way, almost hadn't been made yet. Mm. So I guess it's a little bit ahead of its time. But it was riffing on certain things. I mean, there was a, there was a cinematic language established by the Spider-Man movies, and this movie takes a piss out of that. There was a cinematic you know, cinematic language of the Batman movies, and this movie takes a piss out of that as well. Um, but I think I think it's it's quite sharp and pointed. Yeah. But at the same time, it manages to tell a genuine story. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, one of the reasons yeah you know, one of the reasons I picked this movie is because I think it's fantastic, and uh, you know it's. It's really interesting. This is the movie I think that really established Matthew Vaughn's voice as a filmmaker. In that you can draw a stylistic line from this movie to the Kingsman films, 
whether you're a fan of those or not. I personally am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I think before that he'd been quite almost chameleonic. You know, you, you Larry Cake and Stardust. Yeah, yeah even going on to X-Men First Class, they don't necessarily feel like they're made by the same filmmaker, whereas these and uh, and the Kingsman movies are very much of a piece. Well, it's that thing that, like... But, well, I, I guess it's, like, some of the casting. Um, it kind of felt to me a continuation of um, Guy Ritchie in the way that, like, he kind of, like, delves, like, especially with the kind of moving with the gangsters and that, and I think it's just the the casting of Dexter Fletcher and Jason Fleming, I just thought of those like first two Guy Ritchie films. And then obviously yeah. how his career moved from that. And then he kind of had that like two, like that, that kind of reinvented, I guess, a genre with the, uh, with the Sherlock Holmes films. Um, and I see like some comparisons there. Cause they are like very slight that and like, this and Kingsman like stylistically not the same mm -hmm. but you can see mm -hmm. that they have this kind of skewed British sense of humor almost in that they're like yeah they're outsiders view of that kind of American big blockbuster like franchise and stuff like that and obviously mm. like this film yeah. was made in a very interesting way in that it was totally funded independently right independently yeah I think uh, I think all Matthew Vaughn's films are funded independently which um, which gives him, which gives him, uh, you know, control over them, which which is which is interesting and and very very cool. And uh, you know, you also have to put this into context in terms of his career and yeah. where he was at that point. And you know, he famously had that experience on X Men: The Last Stand, where he walked away from the project with just a few weeks to go before filming began. Um, and I think that means that he wanted to retain an element of control in films like this. And he went on to do Stardust pretty much immediately um, and then moved into, into this as well. But it also means that I think, you know, he is a, he's a, he's a geek, you know, I've, I've interviewed him a whole bunch yeah. of times over the years and, uh, uh, and he's good friends with, with Mark Miller. And uh, I think he, he knew that this was a property that was, that felt fresh and compelling and also a property in which he could probably call the shots and and not have someone looking over his shoulder and second guessing him at every uh, at every juncture. Not that that's necessarily what happened on X Men: The Last Stand, but you know it certainly probably would have felt that way. Yeah, well, it's crazy to think as well because I've read that um, he was introduced to Mark Miller via Jane Goldman and her husband, who obviously mm -hmm. is Jonathan Ross. And it's crazy yeah. to think that we're living in a world that Jonathan Ross is almost responsible for this film in, in a way but like, then again to some people may not come as a surprise because he himself is a massive comic nerd mm -hmm. and like yeah like national treasure status or or, or 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 not i'm not sure where he stands now ever since the uh, when did he fall out of uh has he fallen out of uh vogue with the general public is, is, is he still about i don't him? know i don't know i like him <laughs> yeah, I, like yeah him. I i really like him as well yeah yeah yeah. um i just uh yeah um uh, well that, that, that's that, that's the tangent anyway but no 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 uh, yeah i think yeah. he's a great yeah, yeah. he's fantastic oh boy yeah right now un unlike me uh, <laughs> 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 um you're doing fine we'll, we'll get we'll get there together how how do you think this shaped the uh landscape of um superhero films moving forward do you think this like informed 
maybe the uh, MCU at all? Or? Not really. I think the film it probably has the biggest influence on is Deadpool. Mm. Weirdly enough, there's a there's a, a few similarities, a few tonal similarities. Um, certainly in terms of the the, the writing and <laughs> the uh, the violence and the comedic tone of the violence and uh, and the swearing. But I would say that you know this is this is a medium sized hit. Uh, you know, that's you know it was it was a big film, but uh, you know obviously enough to it was a big hit. It was it was enough to facilitate a sequel. Yeah. Um, you know, and it did well, and everyone everyone got a nice bump from it, and everyone got a nice nice bounce from it. We put it on the cover of Empire. We saw this. Uh, I remember seeing this with my editor uh, at the time uh, at a preview uh, test screening, which is very unusual. But we saw it at a test screening, and that really helped us make up our minds in terms of what do we do with this movie. A because I loved it. I just absolutely was blown away by it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was daring. I thought it was thrilling. I thought it was raucous i thought it you know it was poking a finger in the eye of a genre that i love but that perhaps needs to be taken down a peg or two every now and again um and i thought the action scenes were tremendous and the the audience went absolutely fucking nuts <laughs> and so afterwards my, my editor and i were like oh this is this is this is really really good so we ended up putting on the cover with the um the bold cover line um if i remember rightly uh meet your new favorite film or welcome to your new favorite film it was something like that <laughs> Yeah, you because know, we 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 had a feeling that uh, many people in our target yeah, yeah. readership uh, would just go nuts for it. You know that it would it would speak to them that it would you know kind of get them in a sort of geeky but edgy sweet spot. Um, so we absolutely we absolutely uh, adored it from the off. Well, yeah, I must have been like the massive target demographic for this film because I was I think I was doing the maths the other day. I was Nineteen when it came out, so like I was very much sweet spot. The, the sweet spot, yeah. I, I that 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 was me. I remember. I, remember it's, I maybe had just got a job working at a cinema. It was just before I got a job getting a, uh, working at a cinema, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like from from moment one, I was uh, give me all of this. Do you know what I mean? I, I want a kick ass bukkake right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> How does that work? Don't don't tell me. Yeah, yeah, don't tell yeah, me. Yeah, uh, I'll fill in the blanks. Exactly. Uh, please don't Google that at home if uh, if you don't know what it is. <laughs> don't Google Bukaki. That's B U K K A K E. Do not do not whatever you do. Do not type that into Google and press and press send. Especially don't type Bukaki Big Daddy. Don't do that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's bad. That's real bad. Uh, but I have to say, in in just in addition to what you were saying about you know. I love the film from the off, and I think it's a tremendous film. And it was it was a hit. It was a hit. Um, but I I think in terms of its influence on the superhero genre, Deadpool aside, I kind of think it just kind of bounced off because it was it, we were at a time. So it's 2010. So this is coming out the same year as Iron Man 2, which is really when just before Marvel really began yeah. to step it up. Um, so it was kind of in that spot when there wasn't really a lot coming out. I think we probably look back at 2010 trying to think if there was an x-men movie there wasn't because matthew went on to do first class the next year uh i don't think there was a big dc film out that year so it was kind of it was a bit quiet so it, it was this it was this loud punky kid of a film that was drawing a lot of attention to itself but in terms of the overall narrative of superhero films um it's it's a fun one but I don't think it's necessarily had a huge impact because Marvel just kind of carried on doing what they did. And I don't think they changed, uh, changed direction or changed gears 
because of anything yeah. that Kickass did. Yeah, obviously, from like uh, a uh, a fan's point of view and stuff like that, obviously, you can draw lines to the fact that Marvel then started working with a lot of like interesting and 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 brought humor into a lot of their films that had kind of like obviously the the Iron Man films aside, like up until just superhero films in general had like quite a po faced attitude up until this point. Whether it is in whether it was influenced by this or they just realized that stuff really needed a bit of a shift, like in mm. general. Because obviously yeah, it was two years no, it, yeah, yeah, uh, one year until the MCU really kicked kicked into gear. Two- yeah, I'd say I'd say it was you know 2011 when Thor and Captain yeah, America yeah. came out, and that's that's when they 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 really started to to ramp it up a little bit. Um, I think they've done well since. I'm not entirely sure, but <laughs> got a couple, yeah, couple of films. I think I think one I think, or two. Yeah, yeah. A couple of films. Yeah, a couple of films. Uh, but yeah, Kick Kick Ass. You know, it's it's a really interesting. It's a really fun film, um, and it it proves I think because the sequel is is let's face it, not good. It proves how difficult it was to get this one right, yeah. because it's a tightrope walk, and so much can go wrong. It's not just the you know the shock factor of having a ten-year-old girl be a foul-mouthed assassin, <laughs> but he manages to balance the, the the this sort of very on the surface very very sweet story of this this kid Dave Lasuski, this kid who's who you know wants to become a superhero, this sort of Spider-Man, Peter Parker-esque story, as you say. But also, he manages to walk the, the tonal tightrope, uh, this ultra-violence. You've got this gangster movie, which is kind of bumping up against the superhero origin story. Uh, that could have gone wrong very, very badly. Oh. All the, the, the hyper-violence could have gone wrong very, very badly as well. Um, some of the jokes, you know, maybe, maybe don't quite land, but still, there's a lot of very funny stuff in this as well. So, you know... For me, it was just a bit of a rush of a film, um, but it could have gone wrong in a million different ways. Uh, and one of them, honestly, was the casting of Nick Cage. You know, that could have yeah. gone wrong a million different ways. You know, him turning up and deciding to do <laughs> Adam West, it just might not have worked at all. But he's tremendous in it, and I'd like to think, going back to my original point, I like to think that this kind of lit a fire under his ass again. And you know, oh, I like doing stuff like this. I like coming in and doing these little, you know eccentric oddball character choices and making it work and uh and also reminded us that he can handle himself i mean he's you know i know he's not it's not always him in that incredible uh fight sequence near the end of the movie but you know he does he does a lot of the stuff himself well well i guess it's the thing as well that obviously i know i know from having the list in front of me that there is some he's still got some bills to pay with a lot of the films he he does and but Mm -hmm occasionally we do get like a kick-ass and we do get a, a, like a mandy something that he really gets to flex that kind of gonzo muscle as you like mentioned earlier like to mm. to the audience and like but yeah back to points of like super films i find it really interesting that um well, two, two two of the cast members of this went on to play the same character right so uh aaron taylor <laughs> point, johnson yeah. and Evan Peters both played uh, Quicksilver. Uh, That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anyone else who? There's no, no, no other, no other superheroes in this film. I don't think. Uh, no other Quicksilver. I, I've played Quicksilver briefly. I think we all have. <laughs> yeah. You'll be, you'll be in line for a, a shot of the role very, very soon. After this. Um, 
Yeah, but Cage Cage takes care of it all himself, and you know, <laughs> he's a massive comic book fan. He's a massive superhero fan, and he had kind of scratched the itch. You know, he had the Superman thing, which didn't quite work out for him. But he and he scratched the itch a little bit with Ghost Rider uh, in two thousand and seven. But I just think he loves playing in this world. He loves the opportunity to do stuff like this, and uh, I think it's great. Honestly, I think it's great that he is he he now has Superman under his belt. Yeah, uh, and in a, in a weird way, he's one of the few actors who can say, "I've played." You know what? I've played Superman and Batman. <laughs> not not officially, but I've played a Batman. Well, yeah, that's, in this movie, there's that nice like riff that basically they are saying he is Batman. Between Frank D'Amico's goons, where they're all, where they're all like uh, deciphering yeah. who, like before that really brutal, like uh, taking a guy's finger off. There's that like kind of thing, like it was Batman. It's like, well, no, I'm not saying it was bat, it was Batman. It's kind of like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. My my final questions for you is: I have mm-hmm. a scale in which I <laughs> judge Nicolas Cage films by. <laughs> In the way that uh, it's a free, it's a free question um, criteria, and it is to see like I I put this against if if it's a yes answer for these free questions a lot of the time or swings in okay. that favour yeah. tends tends to go um, more more enjoyable. No, we know we're getting a dull roll uh, from him. So first question is, does Nick Cage have crazy hair in any way in this film? no no he has disappointingly average normal hair in this film although you know this is the thing i love nick cage but even when his hair is normal you're kind of going where's that what's how how's he got that hair what's happening what where's that from well you could argue the choice of the mustache as well i know i'm sporting a mustache at the moment but like it's a lovely, <laughs> lovely thing. It's a thing of beauty. The 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 handle, I, I yeah, the handlebar mustache, for me, a bit questionable. And I think post this film, I'm not here mm-hmm. to obviously shit on Nick Cage. I I, I love the guy, but uh, let's not do that. <laughs> um, the the kind of his hair after this, when it was kind of like bleach blonde. There's a lot of like press shots of him that look like great. Um. But my next question for you is, mm-hmm. does he do a crazy voice at all in this film? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. He does. He does his own voice. He does the Adam West voice. And he does whatever the fuck it is when he's dying. His his death scene, his like, <laughs> which is just great. Love it. Which leads me on to my third and final question in the uh cage rating is mm-hmm. do we get any freakouts in this film do we get any classic cage freakouts <laughs> yes we do we do uh, and that's one of the reasons i love it because i love a classic cage freakout uh it's not quite a b c d but it's uh it's it's pretty good i mean he gets he gets to he gets to be burned alive and um and and uh, and just have a and have a fun time with it. He has a he has a fun time of being burned alive. I, I think in this one. Plus, he gets to you know. I haven't really talked enough about that great fight sequence. Yeah. That sort of one shot fight sequence, uh, which 
um, you know, Matthew Vaughn did, and uh, I think Brad Allen, who's worked with Jackie Chan for years and years and years, and Edgar Wright and people like that. Oh, he the, he helped choreograph it. It's great. The the warehouse the warehouse CCTV footage fight scene. Yeah, just such a good oh, sequence. Oh, that 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 for the listeners at home was the sound of me kissing my fingers like a like yeah. a chef because it is. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful bit of uh, yeah choreography and cinema and yep. it's great it's great. It's, it's, it's great to see it's great to see like cage do that kind of thing as well because obviously he doesn't always get afforded the thing to be <laughs> this is true this is true <laughs> well chris that is uh yeah I'll, I'll, I'll wrap things up there that's been that's been fantastic and um i will put in the show notes everywhere where you can get a hold of chris and is there anything you'd well, like yeah, to... Uh... Not, not everywhere. Uh, yeah, not, yeah. Have to have the, uh, an element of privacy <laughs> here. Uh, you know, keep my underground lair off it. In regards to social media and, and the like. Oh, yeah, uh, that makes much more sense, yeah. And, yeah, um, what's the... Like, is there anything you'd like to plug at all, Chris, in regards to stuff that you're doing? Uh, so if you Google Bukaki Chris Hewitt, you'll see my <laughs> latest project. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter as at Chris Hewitt, um, and you can find me every Friday hosting the Empire Podcast. That's the, that's that's what's called Petros. Yep. It's the M- Empire Podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but I like the Empire Magazine Film Podcast. Oh, I, I, yeah, we, we might consider that <laughs> the Empire Podcast. Just two words, man. Honestly. Uh, so every Friday we're out, and then we also have lots of spoiler specials, interview specials, and whatnot as well. And uh, and of course the the world's biggest movie magazine, Empire, which is available to subscribe to during this time of crisis. <laughs> was bloody great wasn't it guys chris is such a eloquent and great person to have on and just loves films and you can definitely tell that and luckily for me loves nicholas cage i wasn't sure whether he was a massive fan just of this film or as cage as a whole but yeah lucky for me he is a cage fan probably why he agreed to be on this podcast um I will put in the show notes, uh, you can have a little look now, or if you haven't looked already, uh, all the places you can uh, find Chris, whether that be Twitter, or if you want to look up um, some of the articles he's written for Empire, uh, I'll do that, and uh, links where you can subscribe, or even just have a browse on their website, and I'll definitely be putting a link to the Empire Film Podcast, as he said, it's released every Friday, and it's always amazingly informative they're really funny and they get some of the best interviews in movies so you'd be a fool not to check out their podcast and not to just check out empire in general because it's really really great magazine and yeah and if you want to <laughs> catch up with what i'm doing uh, all the links to the social medias are in the bio um of this like yeah again in the show notes you'll be able to find out where to catch me a lot of time on twitter where you'll find some really nuts things i'm compiling data i think i mentioned in the last week's episode um yeah i have i'm I'm posting all the spreadsheets and stuff that that i'm working on uh and a a new one that's really really handy for a lot of you guys will be a uh, spreadsheet of where you can watch all of the nicholas cage films that are available on streaming in the UK 
and in the US. And if if you happen to listen anywhere else in the world, let me know where they're available in your country and I will add to the spreadsheet just so we can kind of create a worldwide database of where you can watch Nicolas Cage films and whether it be this podcast or one of the many other Nicolas Cage based podcasts you can keep up to date and you can listen along freely and easily without too much digging about a lot a lot of stuff isn't on streaming services but a lot of stuff I'm pushing into now like anything from 2010 a lot of it is on streaming services so that's been real handy bit of a data sourcing for me and hopefully for you as well um as always i have been petrus pat syllabus chris hewitt was bloody great weren't he i've been caged in you've been amazing thank you bye This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.